This is a five-part video. Part one, what is schema therapy? Who can it help? And what's the evidence say? Part two, the four components of schema therapy and how it's different to other types of therapy. Part three is the most common schemas. We'll get into what schemas actually are in a second and their common origin points. Part four is how schema therapy actually works to create long-lasting change. And part five is my personal thoughts on schema therapy. I'm Dante, a provisional psychologist working in Australia, and let's dive into part one. What is schema therapy and who can it help? Schema therapy is fairly similar to cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, but with a greater emphasis on a person's core beliefs, which in schema therapy are called schemas, and in the childhood origin points of these schemas. Obviously, traditional CBT cares about these core beliefs as well. That's where core beliefs come from. It comes from CBT. But schema therapy places a significantly greater emphasis on them, as well as on a concept called modes, which is an idea that I'll cover later in this video. It operates on the assumption that to create lasting change in a person's life, you need to understand and seek to change both elements of cognition and behavior, not just one or the other. So again, very similar to CBT. Schema therapy tries to change a person's unhelpful schemas and beliefs about themselves, others, and the world into more helpful and adaptive schemas. It's also concerned with skill building and developing new healthy patterns of behavior. There are both adaptive schemas and maladaptive schemas, and the goal of schema therapy is the transformation of the latter into the former, or at the very least a reduction in the influence of the maladaptive schemas in the person's life. So remember, it's not that schemas equal bad, but it's just that there's different types of schemas and some of them are helpful and some of them are not. While schema therapy was specifically developed to address personality disorders, and there's really, really strong evidence that it works to help those types of people above and beyond traditional CBT, there's also a really strong emerging body of evidence demonstrating the efficacy of schema therapy in working with a really wide range of mental issues, including anxiety, depression, and obsessive compulsive disorder. Part two, the four components of schema therapy and how it's different to other therapies. So schema therapy is built off of four primary pieces which a therapist is going to try to understand when they start working with a client. And they are as follows. One, the schemas which a client holds that are causing negative outcomes in the client's life. Two, the origin points or foundational events which caused the schemas to develop in the first place. And then also what are the events throughout the person's life which have massively reinforced the perceived truthfulness of the schema. Three, the behavioral outcomes that the schema is causing. Often these are referred to as maladaptive coping skills, which is a very big part of this behavioral picture, but not all behaviors are done in part due to a maladaptive schema um, or done out of a desire to cope. Oftentimes they can be patterns of behaviors and habits which have simply formed over a long period of time due to the long lasting nature of the schema. Four, the modes which a client inhabits that are negatively impacting their life. So I'll dive into modes in just a second, but note that inhabiting these modes is itself a coping strategy. So modes, these are the things that actually make schema therapy fairly unique to other CBT-esque therapies with perhaps the exception of IFS, inner family systems therapy. Schema therapy posits that there are multiple modes which a person can inhabit. And these modes are states of being which are made out of your behavior, your habits, your emotions, and your cognitions, your perception of the world basically. The mode that a person is currently in affects the way that they perceive the world, the way they act within the world, and the way they react to the events of the world. Some of the modes that people can inhabit are child modes, such as the vulnerable child mode, where you perceive and react to the world as a vulnerable child would. Schema therapy looks to see which modes do you commonly exist in, 
why are you existing in that mode fairly often and what are more healthy modes of being that you could exist in and how can you exist in those instead of in your current maladaptive modes part three the most common schemas and their common origin points Basically every schema that you have, you developed it as a child and then events throughout your life either reinforced that schema or slightly shifted it and changed it to be something else, right? Maladaptive schemas arise when the needs of a child essentially are just not met, whether they be physical, social, emotional, they're just not met or in some cases just the polar opposite of it, right? If there's a need for safety and you're in an environment where your caregivers are the ones who are instead posing threat upon you, it's very, very likely that you're going to develop some really, really negative schemas, which may keep you alive in that instance, right? They may be helpful for a child to stay alive in a toxic environment, but later in the life when the environment gets better, it gets cleaned up, having and holding onto these negative schemas about yourself and others ends up being extremely limiting. Schemas can be changed later in life, right? But it takes quite a bit of work. And the earlier in life that you get to trying to challenge and change schemas, the faster the process is going to be. Where it can only take really small events in a child's life to develop a lifelong schema, it would typically take huge events later on in life to develop new schemas or to totally change schemas in a single instance. So schema change typically takes place later in life over a much more gradual and deliberate process. There are five main domains of maladaptive schemas, which I'll name and explain. So number one, disconnection and rejection type schemas. These are beliefs based on the idea that other people cannot be relied upon. Some examples of these are beliefs about abandonment, like people are going to abandon me, or beliefs about mistrust, right? Like I cannot trust others, others will lie to me. These beliefs typically originate in environments where there was perceived abandonment or where a child felt that their supposed caregivers were sources of threat rather than sources of safety. Schema domain two, impaired autonomy and performance. These are beliefs about being vulnerable and not having the capacity to deal with things by yourself and that you are doomed to failure in every endeavor you try in life. These types of beliefs typically originate in environments where you're made to feel belittled, overly coddled, or that your actions are never good enough. Three, impaired limits. These are schemas that are essentially the opposite of what I just said earlier. They're unrealistic beliefs about yourself being like much more grand, much better than others in everything. Think the real narcissistic end of the personality spectrum. You obviously want self-esteem and you obviously want like a realistic but positive self-image. But those with an impaired limit schema have taken it way too far. And it typically causes significant damage in their social relationships because the person is going to think of themselves as better than other people. They're going to act as if they're better than other people. Um, and people typically don't like people like that. Schema category four, other directedness. A bit of an odd name, but these are beliefs that basically mean that you think the needs of other people supersede your own needs and that other people always have to be taken priority over you, right? It's a belief like I'm not important or others are more important than me. A common environment that creates these beliefs are children who are raised by narcissistic parents. In these types of settings, children are taught by their narcissistic parent that they need to take a backseat and when a child is taught something, the child learns. That's the child's job, to learn. These beliefs can also come about when a child has a very emotionally volatile parent because they have to learn to try to keep that emotionally volatile parent stable and happy so that their caretaker will actually be in a stable and good enough mood to keep the child alive. Belief class five is overvigilance and inhibition. So these are beliefs about the perceived need to suppress and inhibit your emotions 
and or extreme pessimism and vigilance about the world. These beliefs too can come from being raised by narcissistic parents who instill a lesson that your emotions aren't important, and in fact they're rather annoying so you should just stop expressing them. And these beliefs can also come from parents who have extremely high standards of performance and who make a child feel that only extremely high performance is adequate, right? So then you become very, very pessimistic about yourself, um, or you feel that emotional expression is unwarranted, like the, the, they, these parents just value achievement, right? Not emotion, stop expressing emotion, and just achieve. Part four, how schema therapy creates actual lasting change. So interestingly enough, the actual change process of schema therapy is relatively straightforward. You and your therapist are going to work towards understanding your four factors, that is your maladaptive schemas, their foundational events, coping behaviors and behavioral manifestations, and the modes in which you inhabit. Also, you'll get to know what helpful schemas and behaviors you have, because if you already have some beliefs and behaviors which are helping your life, you want to do those more often, and they serve as a great building point to create more helpful beliefs and behaviors. So once you've done all of that, you want to identify more healthy schemas and create some new healthy schemas between you and your therapist, and create some new and more helpful coping skills which can be worked on. And then you want to create some action plans which can be created for the purpose of enacting these new coping skills in your everyday life, and in performing actions every single day and making observations every single day to gradually shift your old maladaptive schemas into your new adaptive and healthy schemas that you've identified. So for example, if you have a schema of I will always fail, you might want to change this and challenge it with a new schema of I will succeed. Then if you can imagine having a continuum from 0 to 100, with 0 being I will always fail and 100 being I will always succeed. Eventually, once you've put in a ton of work into finding all of the evidence and building up a lot of belief in this new belief that you will succeed, You'll probably land somewhere in the middle of sometimes I'll succeed and sometimes I'll fail and that's okay. And the reason why we try to look for all the evidence at the opposite side of the spectrum is because this old schema won't ever fully go away. Even if we do some dismantling work, it'll reduce in its potency, right? But it'll still be there. So you want to balance it out by throwing as much evidence and as much passion into this new belief as possible so that eventually you arrive at something that's more realistic, more grounded, more helpful. Your old schemas are also going to be challenged and broken down through therapy through the exact same processes that you build up the new schemas with, right? Evidence checking, experimentation, um, something that's a little bit more unique to this part of the process though are techniques called reparenting. That's definitely not a topic for today's video. I plan on spending an entire video breaking down what reparenting is and how it works, but that is a topic deep in the future. As I stated earlier in the video, schemas are significantly easier to change early on in your life. As you get older, your schemas are going to have more and more reinforcing events, so they're going to be much more sticky and much harder to change. That's not to say it's impossible, it just takes a bit more time and it takes a bit more effort. One thing to note here is one of the reasons why schemas tend to be reinforced through events throughout your life rather than challenged by events throughout your life and why it can be beneficial to have a therapist or a third person or a second person or a different point of view to help you identify and challenge your old schemas and reinforce your new schemas is that schemas act as kind of a lens and a filter through which we process information from the world right so if you have a schema that other people are cruel then every single time you encounter evidence in the world of people being cruel your brain takes that and goes aha Look, evidence, see, my schema is correct, and it reinforces that schema, it reinforces that belief. 
But every time you encounter evidence that's contrary to that, perhaps you see someone donating or doing charity or doing volunteer work, right? Your brain discounts that. It doesn't go, oh, look, that's counter evidence to my schema. No, because this schema is ingrained. Your brain instead goes, oh, uh, this is just the exception. It's just a fluke. It's just a coincidence. This isn't like a rule. It's just an exception. So we don't have to essentially remember this event as happening at all, or we don't have to give it any weight or any value. But by having a outside perspective, like a friend, a family member, or a therapist, right, they can help you to point out these events and be like, hey, no, like this isn't a coincidence. This isn't an exception to the rule. This is actually really strong evidence against your schema. Part five, my personal thoughts about schema therapy. It's some good stuff. On a bit more of a serious note, I think schema therapy is actually really good. It's an excellent theoretical framework that I feel most therapists should attempt to at least familiarize themselves with. Even if you as a therapist don't plan on practicing strict by the book schema therapy, which I myself do not, there are many concepts and bits of language which can be integrated into any form of modern therapy in a beneficial way. And a lot of it carries over from standard CBT anyway, with maladaptive schemas just being another phrasing for maladaptive core beliefs. And the techniques used to shift schemas are the same techniques used to shift core beliefs. The identification of modes and classification of modes as a type of coping skill, however, is a little bit special. And once you start, I guess, delving into that a little bit more and you can start recognizing some modes as being coping skills, it becomes significantly easier then to build up not just traditional coping skills, but also new healthy modes of being. So that's all about schema therapy in as short of a time as I could manage. I hope you found this content interesting or helpful. If you're interested, my Twitch link is in the description where I'm streaming psychology content around once a week. If you want a little bit more information about schemas, I've linked another video of mine where I went over schema therapy fairly broadly and went on many tangents, so consider checking that out if you're interested. If you prefer an audio-only source, this video should also be available as a podcast, link in the description. I have many, many, many more videos planned, so if you're interested in that, consider following the channel so you can see those videos when they do eventually come out. Thanks for watching. Bye.